Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. We are so excited that you're listening to the show this morning. Well, I hope you caught last week's show. It was an amazing beginning to our interview with Dr. Frank Turek. In case you missed it, you can go to godsolutionshow.com and get that show. Dr. Turek is the president of Cross-Examined. And you could find out more about him at crossexamined with a d.org. Again, that's crossexamined with a d.org. Crossexamined.org. He speaks around the country. He's been featured on cable TV shows and news media. He actually has his own cable TV show. He often speaks on college campuses and talks to college students about matters of faith and things like that. He debates famous atheists. And you could even check out some of his debates with renowned atheists at YouTube. You could go to YouTube and see some of his debates. And, of course, a lot of this is also at his website, crossexamined.org. He's written numerous books, including I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which he co-authored with Dr. Norm Geisler, who was recently on the show. He also authored Correct, Not Politically Correct, Legislating Morality, and Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Well, last week we talked to him about that first book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. This week we're going to be talking to him about correct, not politically correct, and it won't be a politically correct show. I hope that you'll show us tolerance, the same tolerance that's often preached in society, but really only shown to one segment of society. I hope that you'll show that this morning. Next week we'll conclude our interview with him with part three of that interview, talking about his newest book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. His weekly TV show is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and it's on every Wednesday at 7 and 11 on DirecTV channel 378. You can also see his column at townhall.com. Again, townhall.com. You should go to crossexamined.org. Again, that's crossexamined with a D.org to find out more about Dr. Turk. And definitely check out his books on Amazon or wherever you buy books. You'll love his books, and I'm sure that you'll love him as well. He's a great speaker, one of the most dynamic speakers I've ever heard, and he is sharp as a tack. He seems to have everything always right on the tip of his tongue. I'm excited for you to hear the second part of the interview with him this morning. Again, we're going to be talking with him about his book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and it's going to be a little bit of a politically incorrect conversation. Our modern society has rushed headlong into the debate about marriage and traditional marriage and what constitutes a family and what types of sexual relationships are healthy and not healthy. And it's done so with very little debate. In fact, debate has been silenced in the name of equality and in the name of tolerance and things like that. Well, today we're actually going to consider some of the real issues involved in this debate, not minding the political correctness that so often is expected in our society, even at the expense of true debate. We're going to get into the real issues today and talk about this with someone who has researched it and discussed it all throughout the country. It's going to be an incredible conversation. As we start, again, I ask you to be tolerant and to respect the diverse opinions that you might encounter this morning. And to realize that these opinions are given not out of a perspective of bigotry, but rather out of love. 
See, the Bible says that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and love often entails more than just accepting or tolerating someone. It involves actually loving them and choosing their best interest over our own. And sometimes love requires that we speak about what we think will help another person and warn them about something that we fear would be a danger to them. So I hope that you realize that this conversation is one out of true love. That's the intention. And I hope that you'll be tolerant with things that you disagree about. Well, that being said, here is the second part of our interview with Dr. Frank Turek. At this point, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and we want to talk to Dr. Turek about his book, Correct, Not Politically Correct. And as we begin this conversation, I want to ask the audience for tolerance. A lot of times we hear that tolerance is a virtue, and then we find that it isn't always given to anybody that disagrees with the other side. So a lot of times it becomes a mantra, but not a true virtue. So as we discuss things, because we really believe that truth is true and that truth is real and that we will do best if we follow what's true and that we can debate ideas and come to an understanding of what is true because we really believe those things, we think it's important to talk through these things and to appeal to the evidence and to look at reality. And as we do that, I would encourage you, the listeners and the audience, to have the tolerance that you expect of others and to show the open-mindedness that you claim is a virtue. With that in mind, I wanted to talk a little bit about your book, Dr. Turek, Correct Not Politically Correct, which discusses gay marriage. Now, I've often stated on this show that gay marriage actually creates true inequality for the first time in American history. A lot of people might be shocked by that. But just follow with me with a tolerant attitude for just a second. Until recently, everyone was allowed to marry the opposite sex, and no one could marry the same sex. That is inherent equality of marriage rights. Nobody had a right that anybody else did not have. Now, some people are granted that privilege based on their specific relationship characteristics, while others with different characteristics do not get that privilege. In other words, for the first time in American history, marriage inequality is becoming the norm. I've said that on the show. Dr. Turek, what do you think? Do you agree with that analysis? Well, I'm not exactly sure if I follow it, uh, as you put it there, um, because technically somebody who is has same-sex attractions can marry somebody of the opposite sex if he wants to, and somebody who doesn't have same-sex attractions could marry somebody of the same sex who wants to. But I think the bigger issue here is not uh, so-called inequality, as you put it. I think the bigger issue here is that everybody already has equal marriage rights regardless of what the marriage laws are. Um, because right now, let's just say natural marriage, marriage between a man and a woman in some states is the only uh, way you can get married. Every human being in that state has a right to engage in that relationship and have the state promote it. If some people choose not to engage in that right, for whatever reason, maybe they don't feel attracted to the opposite sex or they just don't want to get married, that's their right not to do it. But everybody has the same rights. There never has been marriage inequality uh, when it comes to same-sex marriage or natural marriage. Everyone always has the same right to 
to engage in marriage, whatever the definition is. The problem is, there's a lot of problems, however, if you say that same-sex marriage is the same as natural marriage, and we can get into that as we go. So I recently finished your book, correct, not politically correct, I really appreciated it, but uh, why is this debate about more than tolerance? Because same-sex relationships are already tolerated in our country. Uh, homosexuality is tolerated, but there's a difference between permitting something and promoting something. See, the government can do three things on any behavior. I call it the three Ps. It can prohibit a behavior, permit a behavior, or promote a behavior. Most of the time, the government either prohibits a behavior or permits a behavior. Very rarely will it promote a behavior. And it, for millennia, governments across the world have promoted the behavior between men and women when they come together and create uh, a marriage and then bring forth children. They promote that behavior. Why? Because it's the most basic form of government. It's the foundation of civilization. The reason the government gets involved in marriage is not to recognize the two people love one another. That's irrelevant to the, to the government. The reason the government's involved in marriage, the purpose for it, is to perpetuate and stabilize society. And that's what marriage does for both men, women, and children. It perpetuates and stabilizes society. That does not happen when you put uh, two homosexuals together. You don't perpetuate and stabilize society. And if you say that same-sex relationships are the same as opposite-sex relationships, and that we're going to call that institution marriage, really, you don't have same-sex marriage and natural marriage. What you have is genderless marriage. You're saying that the qualifications to become married, gender has nothing to do with it. Well, if gender has nothing to do with marriage, then neither do children. You see, marriage then becomes all about just the romantic desires of adults, not the needs of children. Well, why should the state really care about just the romantic desires of adults? It should care more about the needs of children, because if you take care of children, you take care of society. You don't take care of children, society has trouble. In fact, natural marriage is our national immune system. When our marriages are strong, our country is healthy. When our marriages are weak, our country is weak, and we can see that. Uh, because we weakened marriage laws back in the 1970s with no-fault divorce. And what did that do? It made people think that marriage was all about the needs of adults, the romantic desires of adults. Once the people, you know, once an adult no longer feels in love anymore, he can move on, you know, forget the children. That's basically what no-fault divorce does. Well, what same-sex marriage does is it worsens that by saying not only is marriage just about feelings, but children have absolutely nothing to do with the institution of marriage because marriage now not only is about feelings, it, it, it has nothing to do with children, it has nothing to do with gender either. Well, if it has nothing to do with gender, where are the children? The children are left out in the cold. So would you say that this debate about same-sex marriage is more about promotion than anything else? Oh, of course, because same-sex advocates know that if same-sex marriage is put into place, then homosexuality is promoted, and then people who have some kind of objection to it are going to be ostracized, as many are. Some now are being fined. Some are being fired. I've been fired for writing that book that you're mentioning. Um, bakers and florists and photographers and even the CEO of Mozilla is run out of his job just because he believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, because the people who say they're fighting for tolerance are often the most intolerant people out there. And, of course, what happens is 
parents lose their rights as well because they no longer can object morally to anything that goes on with regard to teaching homosexuality in schools. You have parents losing their rights. You have business people losing their rights. You have religious people losing their rights. Uh, because there is no middle ground between you must celebrate my same-sex marriage and God or my conscience tells me I can't. One of those values has to give way to the other. And what the courts have recently decided is, so sorry for the people who have conscientious objections, you are going to have to celebrate same-sex relationships. If you don't, we are going to hurt you. So this is not about live and let live. This is not about tolerance. This is you see it our way or we will hurt you. So basically, constitutionally guaranteed freedoms are now being suppressed by judiciously created ones. I mean, we have these courts that have established something, and now that's actually suppressing the rights guaranteed Americans in the very Bill of Rights, uh, yes. which is kind of scary. So what do you think about current legislative trends in this country? Where are they leading? Well, legislative trends aren't leading anywhere. It's judicial trends. See, that's the problem. If this was a legislative issue... Same-sex marriage would be in one state, Maine. Every other state has gotten same-sex marriage by judicial fiat. Do you realize that? That the people don't vote on this stuff, not directly. It's the courts doing it. Now, some states have voted not to overturn what the courts have done, but that's kind of a weird way of looking at it because most states, when you put a referendum up, the the Usually the answer is don't change the status quo. Um, but just about mo a vast, vast majority of the states that have same-sex marriage have it now because the court illegitimately overturned the will of the people. It's not because the people wanted same-sex marriage. It's because the court illegitimately imposed it on them. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR. 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're talking with Dr. Frank Turek, world-renowned Christian apologist, about his book, Correct, Not Politically Correct. I hope that you'll get a lot out of the rest of the show. So is the Christian view one of hate, bigotry, ignorance, or intolerance, and why or why not? Christians are not commanded to be tolerant. We're commanded to be loving. See, tolerance is too weak. Tolerance says hold your nose and put up with them. Love says reach out and help them. And the way that you help people is you tell them the truth. You don't tell them what they want to hear. I mean, we know this as parents or we know this as former children ourselves, right? Our parents didn't allow us or didn't tolerate to, us to do whatever we wanted to do whenever we wanted to do it. That wouldn't have been a loving parent. You don't tolerate evil. You don't tolerate things that hurt people. You stand against them. The problem is it's much easier to acquiesce than it is to tell people the truth. It's really a lack of courage that has people acquiesce into same-sex marriage. It's not, a, it's not because same-sex marriage advocates have a good argument. They don't. It's because people who, uh, are, who know in their hearts there's something wrong with it are too cowardly to say anything about it. So a lot of times people say, oh, it sounds so horrible and mean and bigoted and intolerant. And I think it's important, like I said at the beginning, to look at all the evidence with an open mind and to consider where the evidence is going to lead. I think this is important, especially in an academic setting. Again, we're on a college radio station, and I think it's important to be open to discussing reality 
In fact, in most places of academia, that's actually at least verbally supported. Now, when it comes to this debate, we don't see it so much, but there's a separate dimension to this debate, and this is the people dimension of this debate. Now, as a Christian that believes in traditional marriage, and before people freak out, President Barack Obama, before his first election, said to the whole country that he believed in traditional marriage between one man and one woman. So this isn't the crazy concept that people might think it is now. It's been status quo for millennia, as Dr. Turek said. But as a Christian that holds to that view, and for very good reasons, I believe, I also love gay and lesbian friends that I have. I have an uncle who is gay, and I love him and his partner dearly. I want nothing but the best for them. I love them enough to want to encourage them to understand all that God has for them and how different things could be keeping them from that. There are students that I've talked to throughout the years that I love dearly, who I've shared the truth with and statistics about some of the dangers of their choices and the reality that some of those sexual choices that they make are far more dangerous than any of the other things that our society prohibits, like you say. And I think out of love, we reach out to them and we say, we love you too much to be silent about this thing that is hurting you. So what do you say, first of all, there are Christians dealing with this issue. It's, of course, not just uh, an issue in the secular world. There are Christians. I've discipled many guys that struggle with same-sex attraction. What would you say to Christian men and women struggling with same-sex attraction that might I, be listening this morning? I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a major pastor. If I told you his name, you'd know him. And uh, he's got 30,000 people in his church, and he said... Uh, there's a kind of a joke going around the church that if you want to meet with me, you just tell somebody you're struggling with homosexuality and I'll meet with them because I counsel a lot of people on that. And he said to me, I've never met a lesbian who was not sexually abused. And, of course, if you're a young woman and you've been sexually abused by a stepfather or a uncle or some stranger or something, I don't blame you for not wanting to have anything to do with men. I mean, the attraction isn't the issue. It's the action that's the problem. We all have attractions we ought not act on. I do. Everyone has them. But to move from the attraction to the action is where we get into trouble. Everybody struggles with illicit attractions. But we need to ensure that we don't go to actions because the actions will make things will make matters worse for us. Now we're involved in... in unhealthy relationships from a medical perspective and also from a psychological perspective because people who are engaged in such relationships experience much more difficulty uh, in many areas, uh, drug abuse, uh, psychological issues, higher suicide rates, and no, it's not all caused by homophobia, so to speak, in places where, where homosexuality is encouraged, you still have these troubles. So, what I would say is everybody struggles with attractions. We're all trying to overcome our attractions, our illicit attractions, and ensure they don't go to actions. And for that, you need to stay close to Jesus, and you need to have accountability. So what is God's message this morning for our listeners who are a part of the LGBT community? It's the same message as whether you're part of any community. is We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and God has come, and he's lived the perfect life in our place 
and he provides us a way out of our sin. I mean, it's not, look, if if you're involved in homosexuality, I'm, let's forget homosexuality for a minute. I'm sure you've sinned somewhere else. Uh, you know, you've stolen something, you've lied, you've been selfish, whatever it is. If you've fallen short of the standard, and we all have at some point, we're all going uh, to be punished. But we can avoid that by accepting the gift of what Christ has done. You know that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where it talks about uh, how certain people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, and a lot of Christians say, look, it says homosexuals in there. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's true, but you know who else is in there? Covetous. The covetous people. Well, that applies to every one of us. You see, we just try and single out other people. Every one of us are sinners, so every one of us needs a Savior. What you're mentioning is exactly right. A lot of times Christians have singled this out as if it were somehow worse than everything else. You know, that same passage that you mentioned talks about idolaters. It talks about gossipers. And sometimes we've said, well, this sin is worse than all the others. And the reality is that Jesus came to save us from sin, like Paul said, of which I am the the worst sinner of all. Every one of us desperately needs Jesus. Have you heard of uh, Brady Cohn by any chance? No, I haven't. But let me let me piggyback on one thing you just said oh. there, though, um, because it's, I agree with you on one hand. I don't agree with you on the other. A lot of people will say that, well, all sin is sin and all sin separates us from God. True. But not all sin is equal. I mean, Jesus implied that there was a hierarchy of sins um, that uh, when he's, you know, what's the greatest commandment for, uh, implies it's a hierarchy of goods. Right. And then when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says that you have. Um, you've kept the the minor matters of the law, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And, and Jesus talked about uh, a hierarchy of sins and a hierarchy of, uh, of, well, put it another way, he talked about the fact that there will be certain rewards and certain punishments for different types of behaviors. So there is a hierarchy uh, and I'm not saying that homosexuality is worse than, say, adultery or fornication or any of those other things necessarily, but I am saying this, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, that sexual sin is is a bigger problem than some other sins, and the reason for that is not not because it separates you from God and other sin doesn't. It, they all separate you from God, but one of the problems with sexual sin as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, and he does zero in on homosexuality quite a bit, is what it does to your mind. It takes you so far down a road of depravity that you might get to the point, if you get to the end of Romans chapter 1, where not only are you doing evil things, you're encouraging other people to do them. And I've seen this not just with homosexuality, but with other sin. I just learned last night some guy, a guy, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of a friend who said, I just had this guy come to me today and said, uh, he just went to his wife and said, oh, I found my soulmate. I'm leaving you, right? He's leaving his wife and three kids, his wife of 27 years of three kids, just overnight, right? He said, I'm leaving you. He is so blinded by sexual sin that he is doing irrational things. Uh, and, I mean, I, I have many friends that have fallen into this. I'm, look, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou. I could fall into it easily, too. We're all susceptible. What I'm saying is, is that if you do fall into it, it can be very difficult to get out of, and it has eternal consequences, because you tend to suppress God when you get into sexual sin, because you want to do your own thing. 
you don't you don't you don't want to hear the the voice of reason or the voice of moral clarity. So there are sins that are more difficult to get out of than others, and sexual sin is one of them. That's why the Bible keeps talking about flee from sexual immorality. In fact, if you look at the Proverbs, Nate, the Proverbs deal with three major issues for young people: stay away from easy money, easy sex, and pride. Those are the three major issues. Why? Those three things, if you think about it, are the root of almost every sin, sex, money, and pride. Absolutely. Yeah, and just for clarification for the audience, too, my my conviction is that all sin equally separates us from God, but I absolutely agree that all sin has different types of consequences and different types of results. That is absolutely the case. Now, just back to uh, Brady Cohn, he's a great guy that... I think our audience should check out BradyCone.com is his address. And we interviewed him last year on God Solution. You, you could get that interview at uh, GodSolutionShow.com. And he talked about leaving homosexuality and how trusting Christ daily to transform him into God's image, to make him holy, is the most satisfying thing that he's ever experienced. And the reality is for all of us, when we come to Christ, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or whoever you are. God says, when you follow me, you're turning away from your past. And that's the whole point, is I, on my own, screwed things up very badly. I messed things up. And when I come to Christ, I say, God, I am a sinner that needs a Savior, and I'm not doing things my way anymore. I'm choosing today to follow you. And that's something that every one of us has to decide. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's show, the second part of our interview with Dr. Turek. We'll be airing the third part of that interview next week, talking to him next week about his new book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Again, as you consider all that we talked about today, I hope that you'll have a tolerant attitude, realizing that maybe some of it was different than what you previously thought or what you thought society already established was okay. Well, that's the reality of life. We can have open discussions about ideas, respecting and loving others, even though they disagree with us. And my honest hope is that this discussion would be one that's seen as being done in love. I have gay friends and family members that I love dearly, that I would willingly and joyfully die for. They are people that I love dearly. And as a Christian, I want nothing more than for them and everybody else that I know to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what's really at stake here. And the reality, like I said on the show today, is that every one of us, when we come to Christ, we come with our own pasts full of sin and selfishness. And we say, Jesus, I'm choosing today to let you take over, to let you take the driver wheel. And I'm choosing today to follow you, not myself. In other words, all of us come to Jesus saying, I'm willing to walk away from my past lifestyle and live through the power of your Holy Spirit, the way you want me to in the future. That's not something that only homosexuals have to do. All of us have to do that. We all come to Christ giving up our pasts and following him. If you're at a point today where you want to follow Jesus Christ, you want to put your faith and trust in him, you can say right now, Jesus, I really do believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again to give me new life. I pray that you'd come into my life, that you'd forgive me, that you'd make me a new person, that you'd change me from the inside out, that you'd be my Savior and my Lord. 
The Bible says that if you put your faith in Jesus today, receiving his gift of salvation, his free gift that you can't earn through your works, that you really have been adopted into his family, and you can look forward to a life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternity with him forever. I hope that you took that step this morning, and if you did, I'm confident that you're my sibling in Christ and that we'll spend all of eternity together in heaven. Well, there are other steps you could take as well. You could join a local church this morning. You could visit a local church. Go to godsolutionshow.com for a list of local churches and check one out this morning. It'd be a great way to grow in your faith. While you're there, go ahead and let us know what you think about the show and tell us what God's doing in your life. You could do that through the contact form on the site. I hope that you'll do that this morning and let us know where you're at, what you thought, what you'd like us to talk about in the future, all of that. And seriously, if you hate my guts for talking about what we talked about, let me know that too, because I surely don't think that way about you. I love you and want to know where you're at, and I'd love to talk more about Jesus. Well, I got to go, and like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus, and I believe that with all my heart. I hope that if you don't know him, you'll take a step and find him this morning, and if you already do know him, I hope that you'll grow closer to him than ever before. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.